the JTAC podcast, episode 51. Send it. I can do that. JTACs. Clearing it hot, making it rain, and bringing the boom boom. Watch that. Uh, welcome everybody to the JTAP podcast episode 51. We're going to look at another side of fires here. Uh, Andy, appreciate you taking the time and uh, sitting down with me. No, I need drama. I mean, I was, for, cheers for listening. I was surprised you weren't listening. <laughs> um, like I say every time, everyone's opinion on here is their own and it's not that of any organization. Um, just some lighthearted conversation between myself and uh, Andy. Andy, just obviously to give everyone a bit of a background of like your upbringing, obviously they might pick it up from the accent, but where do you come from? Where do you grow up? What's the sort of family structure? And, uh, you know, what's school look like for you as a young man? Yeah, no, as you can tell from my accent, you know, originally from Scotland, uh, Glasgow. I uh, grew up in Glasgow. and I'll try and keep my, my accent as English as possible. Try and unsaid my words. Uh, so grew, grew up in Glasgow now, now. Mum was a, a nurse, dad was a plumber, and school school was all right for me. Now, I'd done all right at school, but uh, I sort of knew if a young age I was going to join the army. Uh, my uncle was in, uh, he was in the military, and he, he, he in fact was in the regiment I ended up joining. Uh, you know, now uh, was, a, was a Falklands veteran, and so now I grew up around that, and so it sort of now made sense for me to join the military. Did he and talk so a lot about it? Your uncle, did he talk no, a lot about it or actually, did he bring it up? No, 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 not, not at all. Now, it wasn't until uh, actually I came to the regiment uh, that he, uh, that now I found out more about what had happened when, when, yeah. when they were in the fall. He That's never really, really talked to it. And he, he actually suffered from PTSD himself, you know, and, and I, because he never spoke about it. And so now it's just, it's interesting to see sort of things happening, sort of that vein now with people. Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? A lot of people that I speak to uh, and on other episodes, they say that like, you know, they know so much more about their ancestry and their family history when it comes to the military, you know, post-service or once they've got a few years under their belt. But when they were young, it was yeah. just a case of, yeah, I know that there was something going on there. So obviously you're doing, you're doing all right at school, but you had a passion for, you know, joining the, uh, the military itself. What was it and how does sort of the recruiting process look for you uh, up in Glasgow, how does that go? Uh, you know, no, no, it was a case that I turned up at the careers office. Now, now I, I, I was 16 when I first uh, tried to join the army. Uh, at that point, you couldn't join as a boy soldier, and so uh, I, I got turned away at first and told to come back when I was 16 and a half. And so I went back and uh, went through the, the, the recruiting pipeline. You know, now got in. Actually, now the, the recruiter said to me, "Sure, you, you want to join this regiment?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah." No, definitely now explain the connection or the rest of it. And uh, so that was me in, in the door. Now, I think uh, three, three, five, five days after my 17th birthday, I was uh, doing more allegiance and on, on route to uh, the training depot. Yeah. So obviously you'd picked your regiment and stuff like that. Did they, tr like you said, they just said, are you sure? But did they try and dissuade you? I know some guys have said that, you know, the recruiters have, uh, you know, quotas to fill and this, that and the other. And they're like, oh, you should go to the medical corps. You should go to the artillery. You should go here, there and everywhere. No, 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 not at all. He, he was actually in it now. He, he, uh, he, he was at the regiment I was joining. So he was quite happy for me to go down that road. Yeah. So and your, your basic training, that was down south, right? 
Yeah, yeah, I, I was there. Uh, my basic, well, it was two two parts now because because I'm I'm infantry. Uh, back then, you done phase, now. I joined in '98, and so you done phase one, phase two. So phase one for me was was in Pubright, and then I went finished that. Done my done my time. The other went up to Cartwick and done uh, phase two up there before it became a single course. Then it didn't become a single course until uh, back to a single course until about two thousand and one. So I went out there both parts. Yeah, did you had you been that? Have you been down south? Like uh, there was another guy we had on, and he'd never he was up in the Highlands, and he'd never left the Highlands. And the next thing he knew, he was in London, and he was like, "What the hell's going on?" Yeah, l- l- luckily not now. I, I had a, so I've got an older brother, and uh, not now he he was working uh, as a labourer in London. So I think when I was like fifteen, sixteen, both of his summers I was doing in London working as a labourer. So I'd, I'd been doing south before. And it, it was no dramas for me, so I don't know when again. Yeah. Uh, obviously, so you go through the pipeline. Obviously, you do uh, Purbright and Catterick there in the um, sort of late 90s. When you come out of that as a young soldier and you get fired back up to Scotland, what does that look like? What's it like arriving day one? Basically, uh, what's much more interesting for me is like, you know, I remember the Scottish lads on my course, you know, um, but the way that you guys do it, you kind of get divided from your regiment initially, you go through training and then you get given back to your regiment. So what was that like, that experience of like just being thrown into a huge collective of people from across the country? Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was interesting to say, say, say the least, you know, now the, the majority of boys, uh, at first it, the jocks never stuck together. Uh, we were split up and then you, you sort of now split up into the different cat badges and then you come together again and it wasn't until sort of towards the end of Catholic that people started now breaking down into their different regiments and sort of forming the wee bonds and then getting ready to go back up the road so it, it was interesting that now that us and the Welsh stuck together a wee bit now some of the, some of the Irish and then sort of depending where you were from England that now we sort of bathed them off especially the southerners <laughs> so young man turning up at your regiment Day one, knowing everything, obviously, because you've just come from training, so you know absolutely everything you need to know. How long did it take for you to find out that that wasn't the truth? Uh, pro- probably straight away, because we were based in Ireland at the time, so I was straight to Ballachinla for a year, and so I literally walked through the door, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a shock to the system, straight straight away. Now I hadn't even turned eighteen at that point. Now I was just now getting ready to turn eighteen, straight to Ireland. And uh, yeah, shock to the system. Straight in, straight in the training for Drum Cree 98. Yeah. Sorry, 99. Drum Cree 99. Straight, straight in that training now for 18 year old. And uh, you, you've got now people throwing stuff at you and getting ready for that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's, that's, a, that's quite good though, really. And as much as, you know, you're a young man and you've just gone through infantry training. And I know that obviously um, public order and stuff isn't quite the same as, you know, taking trenches and and stuff like that but that, that you would go through training but at least you got to go straight away and start you know being active and d- being part of something a lot of guys don't get yeah, that no, de- yeah de- definitely not now for, for, for some of the, for some of the blues not now uh, so, so some of the guys have passed through we, we went straight back to london uh, for me i went straight to, to ireland and so now i was at Ireland for a year now doing stuff and it was great you know and now we worked, we worked a great rotation and uh you, you were busy, and, and the good thing is that the, the locals spoke the language, so it made, made everything a lot easier, and you could actually just go on with things. That now, and 
had its moments now, like everywhere, but it was it was good. Yeah. And now it was, it was still a shock to the cult, a shock to the system, you know. And now sort of been thrown straight in there and having to deal with that. Yeah, I think we'll probably come back and draw some comparisons, obviously, with your later operational experience. Like you said, they were speaking the same language as you. You know, the street signs are the same and all of that, yeah. that kind of thing. So you kind of, it's, an, it's an unusual situation. So you go back to the UK. Obviously, you've had a baptism of fire, which is probably no, you know, ba- no bad thing as a young man going into your unit. Probably come back to the UK and, you know, you're part of it more than you would be if you hadn't been to Northern Ireland. What draws you towards a shoot, being a shooter, like becoming a sniper? It's, does, does someone tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, we're sending you this direction? Or, or was it something that you were no, like, I, had a passion for? I, 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 got, post, I, I got posted to the, to, the, to the training depot before that. Now, so uh, I came back to the UK, done about a year or two in London, and then got posted to, to Pudbright as an instructor there. And so it spent about a year, it's a year in Pudbright. And obviously, uh, we... Still, still there now. Uh, one of our sniper schools is there, and so and, and I just seen that, and so I just decided when I went back to Batain, I stick my name down and then get myself on the course. Yeah, and I mean that, that, that's a really interesting period of time as well. You know, uh, you know, 1999, and then you come back to the UK in the 2000, and then 2001 changes, obviously, all of our lives, yeah. certainly our generation's life massively, and you obviously get sent to. You know, you're you're obviously doing all the right things. You know, you're getting opera, you're getting an operationally focused thing immediately in your career. You're getting some training, you know, positions straight away, and and you meet those guys from the sniper instruction team down at Purbright. How quickly did it go from you coming back from Purbright and saying, "Hey, this is something I want to do," to them saying, "Yeah, Roger that," and then giving you that opportunity? Uh, it was probably, probably about another year now. So I, I, I never actually done. I never done my sniper course about August two thousand and two. Okay. Uh, no, that, 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 that's when that, that's when I actually badged was August two thousand two. Still using the old ninety sixes then. Uh, so, so some of the Smith and Bender sites, some some of the old ones uh, with the T bar on it. But you know that now. Uh, it, it was, yeah, so it was August two thousand two when it, when, I, when I badged. Uh, actually, j- just before the fire strikes, which put put put, put Kai Bosch to his, uh, gone in the first gone, gone in the first tail because uh, we were all supposed to go there, but that that. Uh, cut shot or a uh, opportunity to go to Kenya, and so yeah. we would have went delicate instead. Yeah, did you do up a fiasco or whatever fiasco? Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was on up fiasco now in sunny Romford. Uh, <laughs> it was all right, but I was, you know, that now two two days on, three weeks after. <laughs> I know. I I remember that um, when we all got put onto that. I was just like, what am I doing, driving around yeah. in this green thing with a wooden floor? You know. Oh, absolutely amazing uh, i'm sure you've got some funny stories about uh op fiasco but we'll, we'll we'll put a pin in that maybe for another conversation because <laughs> those that were some of the stuff that happened yeah. on that i was just like this is definitely what i joined the military for um, no, no, no. um so like you said you got you kind of get stopped because of that going to teleg what's your first you know experience of the golf uh, t- t- five. So we, we, we my, my regiment uh, left London, uh, went across to Germany. We were based in Germany for about uh, two thousand three onwards, and then so, uh, uh, back back in two thousand four, uh, we headed to Telic, and I uh, saw so I'm at there f- uh, two thousand four, two thousand five, uh, on Telic five. Uh, in fact, it was the first elections that they had done, had done in Iraq. We were at there. Uh, obviously, 
the the whole thing with the, with the P-Dubs, uh, Bahari when his VC up in Alamara, it happened to like four, we were in to like five. And to be fair, it was a lot quieter to uh, pro- now for, for a, a number, who, who knows, a number of reasons above my pay grade, uh, but it was a lot quieter uh, compared to the tour before and actually the tour after. So it was... Were you, uh, were you in the city? Were you in Bajra City? Uh, just outside, uh, I was I was in uh, Shy Beefer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, I was in lobby. We we were divisional reserve for that one. Uh, so we got, I got to do some uh, some interesting ops uh, now because we were divisional reserve now. But at that point, I was doing this sniping. Uh, I was still in a rifle company because sniping I f- hadn't really now hadn't really taken off as much as perhaps today because of the ops at that time that were happening now some units were big in it other units weren't and so for my unit now snipers they weren't huge there was one or two with the recce but the rest were just spread about and I was still in a rifle company at that point yeah and it wouldn't have been wouldn't have been until subsequent tours after, after the sort of Afghans that sort of would start to form up yeah how long do you stay with the with the sniping thing I know you're saying obviously it's interesting because it's su- it's such an important thing like sniping um, in the sec- sort of Second World War, it became such a huge importance. Yeah. It's interesting, like, and how important it is, you know, now. I, it's interesting that some units kind of decided that that wasn't their jam, considering what those yeah. people can provide you. What, yeah. you know, as a young man, a young sniper and stuff like that, what other integrations with fires were you starting to see at that point? Was it was it something that you started to see? Because I know I have huge interactions with, with our snipers, but I know that other people say when you're a young sniper, maybe it's not something you see it, but it's not something that you really, you know, it's more the sniper section commander that's doing that. Yeah, no, no, no. It was minimal at that time. You know, no, no, we weren't really, to, to be fair, everyone was sort of spread about There wasn't a great integration amongst these things. Uh, now, we, we were armoured at the time. And so it was, now obviously, quads, vehicles for snipers didn't really come in. So we were playing catch up. Uh, for everything we've done, you know, now people are still trialing whether snipers would be warrior or whatever vehicle they could. And now we're making it up as we went along, really. And so at now at that point it was difficult. Uh, like I say, it wasn't until later on that we sort of started to integrate and understand the the bigger thing later. Yeah. How long did did you stay in that community before you went across to fires? Fires. Uh, so I've, I've only I've only been so like badge two thousand two. Now, so, so it's probably there about 15, 16 years. Roger that. Um, now, uh, I've, 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 only, I've only recently come across to, to, the, to the fire side life now, to the mortars. I've only been mortars now for about two years now. Yeah. Uh, uh, but now, so I've spent a long time with the snipers. So obviously, you've been a sniper for a long time and, and you talk about, obviously, you're just make, you know, you're making it work, you're making things happen. When you roll out of Iraq and you move into other theatres, do you feel like because of the the work that you've done, you start to get employed differently? Say, certainly, no. no yeah. So we we were the we were the, the first armoured infantry company going to Afghan, and the the company commander at the time specifically asked for snipers to go with them. So so we we rolled out with four snipers, and so that 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 gave them two pairs, and so, so that meant we could work a lot better. You know, it was a lot more structured to it. Uh, and then as we build on that, I, th- I think it goes across to the same for the army actually in it, in it now that Afghan really in it now brings snipers back to the forefront of what was happening. Uh, now it's funny in it now, uh, I always remember reading a book and it's Sniping in France 1914 to 1918 by uh, a major Hescaf Pritchard and it, 
the, the, the comparisons between 100 years ago and now is unbelievable. That now the things that were happening then are happening now sniping-wise. Uh, now, so, so you start to see it build. Yeah, it's interesting that sort of um, that period between sort of um, the kind of the end of the Boer War, 1900s and sort of 1901 to 1906. Um, and, he, and they kind of like, they really, the, the new army is formed, you know, people start yeah. wearing camouflage, people start firing. You know, it's all about the rifle. It's all about, you know, maneuver. It's all about dispersion of forces and, and all that kind of yeah. stuff you know, take an accurate so, shot while your body's moving. And then like, like 1906 to 1911, they suddenly decide that they need to get back into like columns and fixed bayonets and stuff. Yeah. And you're like, then the first world war kicks off and you're like, so everything you learn in the Boer war about being really good at marksmanship and cover and move and all that, it's just going to get parked and we're all just going to get in trenches, like 10 million soldiers dead yeah. because they decided to get back into trenches and attack each other march towards machine guns and do cavalry charges towards machine guns but anyway we i, I digress into history which <laughs> was, i just i just think that there's some interesting lessons to be learned that you know if people oh. read a bit more then we maybe wouldn't go back around these loops so often completely nothing that now one of the best things in that, in that book that now because i was talking about the jtang community that now uh, and then the snipers working with JTAX and that now uh, they, they talk about this one sniper reporting uh, always every day. Uh, now he'd always see a cat lying on top of the trenches every day and now on, on the German side and he's like, this is just weird. Now that's an empty sector, why is it there? And so obviously now the flying corps are starting to come through at that time. So they send a plane up and of course, because it's seen above, you can see a, a massive headquarters that's been built there or just because of the sniper reporting a cat. So yeah. that that integrates at that stage now. Maybe we're also where we're going now. Yeah, absolutely. And and I th I I'm going to touch on a, on a sort of a myths question in a second, but it's hugely important for us, and it's actually one of our um, requirements that we do remote observer controlling, where we speak yeah. with a remote observer, you know, a trained observer, and they give us the target data, and then off of the back of that, we do a control. What do you think? What do you think the biggest myth about sort of snipers is? Because I know some units, they're kind of, you know, sharp, living out in a hut on his own, very married, bend of men, living on their own. And I don't, I don't see that. But, I, you know, is that the no. myth that you guys are just off on a hill? No, no, I, I think no, that, that is a myth, you know. I think one of the biggest myths is that you have to be some sort of now ninja, that, that you're just now everyone. Now, a sniper, or a sniper really is, is somebody who's just taking what he's learned at the very base level to the next level. You know, and I was, if, as we everything, if, if, you're, if your basic skills are good, you know, and now you take it to the next level, that's it. And so, and you're a wee bit geeky when it comes to things like shooting, are you geeky when it comes to camouflage and concealment, that sort of thing, you know, and that, just like everything. That's yeah, what it is. it's just the fundamentals are just dialed up a little bit. Yeah, exactly, like everything. What was um, what was your first interaction then with a with a forward air controller or a JTAC properly that we that you can remember? Uh, put, put that, that first Afghan tour, so uh, I was there, Herrick six seven, and we it was we, we, when we retook Muscala. And so in fact, we, 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 we obviously had a, had a JTAC attached to us in, in, the, in the company. And so and now we had some great things. You know, now uh, the first fob we rolled it to, we get told we're only doing it for 40 hours. Two months later, we rolled back in, <laughs> uh, as always. 
But now, I can remember having dropping five hundred pound bombs, you know, now in compounds or in about that sort of thing. But probably one of the best memories is where we were up in Muscat, driving across the the the, the plains, uh, in the Warriors, and next thing you know, a Harriers flying towards us, really low level, right between the two lead Warriors, followed probably about thirty seconds later by an Apache flying between us, now right at ground level, and we're like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's good to go have those guys on your side. It uh, certainly gives you some uh, some confidence to go push out. I, what did you guys like have a conversation? Did you guys sit down, you know, before you went out and said, "Hey, this is what we can offer you. This is what we can offer you," and then like say, "Let's never be in the same place," or "This is how we're going to do our business so we communicate with each other." See, we, then I'll be honest, looking back, no, it, it, it really was fragmented. Now, if I think back to it, now, it was really fragmented. It was a case of, you know, now, snipers were doing their thing, the FST were doing their thing. We, the, the, it was just, now, this was a company coming on this plan, and so we'll just roll with it. Now, there was never any chat really between us. Now, we, we knew each other, we'd, we'd say all right to each other, but we never really sat down in a brew and had a chat. It was just now two separate groupings, sort of thing, unfortunately. But I think yeah. that now looking back, it would have been better if we had that chat. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, obviously, that's your first interaction. What's the, you come home from that, what lessons learned do you think? Because, like you said, obviously, back then, you're going back and you're retaking ground. I'm sure when you went back out there again, it, it looked very different. It was much more of a holding operation. Oh, yeah, massively now. Everything changed rules and engagements a lot. But now, it's, it's funny that now you, you talk about remoting. Uh, until I started listening to the podcast, until you stayed now, I, I realised that I'd actually remoted myself, you know, now, and it was a hillfire now in a building. I'd never realised that because chatting away to an MFC who was next to me, who was then chatting away, and so now, and I said, yeah, can we get a hillfire in that building? And now, that was simply remoting. Now, and so that, that was my next tour. And it was, it was, now, that was it. Yeah. Now, but obviously, there was a lot more communication happening then. Yeah, I think a lot of people, maybe they do realise, but they, they, you know, at the time they don't sort of, you know, click yeah. capture on that moment. But a lot of the TACP stuff that happens is remote. You know, it's done yeah. off of your MFCs. It's done off of your snipers. It's done off of those trained observers or, you know, those yeah. guys out there, you know, certainly, um, you know, machine guns and, and the javelin posts and all those guys with those incredible optics. If you if if you're with them, you're almost doing yourself a misservice. They need to be like completely in another location to you, so that you can have your yeah. eyes on the bit of ground. You know, interlocking arcs of fire. It's a it's a basic, right? And there's no point yeah, exactly. me and you, no point you and me staring at the same bit of ground. No, there's no you know, because we a hell's the hell. Now what's in that hell's this? All right, then drop it. You know, now I'll push it there. Yeah, absolutely. So. So yeah, that remote observer thing is, is hugely important. And, you know, it's something that we do practice. And, you know, I know that a lot of JTACs try and put it into pretty much, you know, a lot of their controls because they know that that's the, a huge strength for, on the battle. And TACP, that's, you know, that's core business for, at the end of the day, being able to uh, work remotely like yeah. that. Um, so what makes you decide to change? What just make, what sort of, what was the catalyst for change after 15 years? Yeah. Uh, rubbing people up the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I, 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 no, no, I, I, uh, what one of the reports for, for uh, a platoon commander I had, uh, 
says that, and I, and I quite often speak my mind, not, not afraid to speak my mind, but I'm invariably on right, but obviously when you do that, you tend to rub people up the wrong way. And so I was, I was, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd actually been away working elsewhere, and uh, then I, I was coming back to battalion, and uh, but I wasn't welcome back in uh, at the time the wrecking snipers were still together for us they hadn't separated yet and so I, I wasn't welcome back in there by, by the, the headshed at that point so that's the way it is you know the upset people that's the way it is you know what it's interesting well yeah you know relationships are hugely important and uh, it doesn't yeah. matter whether you're right or or not it, you know the way you deliver things is, is hugely important because um, you only get a brief snippet of time with with these uh, with these people yeah. but you know what out of adversity always comes some, uh, growth, right? Oh, and so you've gone into yeah. to be into mortars. What's that look like for you now? Yeah. Well, no, I, I, do you know that now, literally uh, now, when, when all this harmed, the, the, the mortars came in and said, look, would you consider looking the mortars? And I was like, yes, let's do it. And so coming across, it's, it's opened my eyes massively, actually, now. Because if, if you're outside the fires world, now, now, whether it be mortars, artillery, whatever, now, now, for me, I thought, now, can't that hard. You, you, put, you put a bomb down a, a, down a barrel and that's it. You know, now, I go on the radio and I say, three rounds fire for effect. How hard is it? It's no hard. <laughs> and then you come into the job and it's like, wow, what is going on here now? You know, you, you, you think in, in the sniping world, you think that now judging distance, doing a bit angled shooting, that sort of thing is hard. But when you come across to the, the fire side of life and you realise everything that's going in, you know, now, being able to put an attitude in, that now, that sort of thing, you know, that now, where you're going to converge the barrels, that now, even just working at fire missions now, map tractor if it goes wrong, you know, and now it's, it's a black art. Yeah, it definitely is. It's a, it's a, it's a great art. And I, I've been very privileged to be surrounded by some incredible Mortman, incredible like MFCs where, you know, when I start screwing it, you know, when I jump on and I'm doing, uh, you know, my kind of cowboy, uh, let's get these uh, mortars rocking and rolling that they'll let, they'll, they will shoot for me, but the MFC very yeah. quickly finds himself a rooftop to, uh, to take over the fire mission. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> thank you to all those guys who've uh, had my back over the years and uh, corrected for whatever it was that I, uh, I shot initially. I appreciate that. Um, so now you're in the fires community. Do you guys have a, a larger interaction with the with the air community? Uh, no, I think at the minute now because because we, we we're changing roles, uh, so we're, we're, we've moved into one of these new strike roles, and so what's the, the, the whole the whole roles thing that's feet. And so at this minute time we're quite spread, and we're not really there's no that integration just yet. And so it's something we want to see, you know, that now. Even FSTs working together with the MFCs now, the whole files community just come together and make life better for everybody. And it's, it's something we're looking to work towards. Yeah, I, I think if I, if I was going to make a single suggestion, it would be if you're going to be that dispersed, I mean, I'm not going to dive into the tactics of it, but no. if you're going to be that dispersed and the TACP is not, you know, fully integrated with with all of these people, you know, at the earliest opportunity, um, you know, something's going to come unstuck. So I implore yourself and all of, uh, obviously, my JTAC and TAPP brothers to make sure that uh, we're, even if it's just, you know, getting together around a brew, for a brew around a table and stuff like that, that we're uh, figuring something out for this new uh, dispersed concept. Because, you know, the further we can disperse, the better, right? But, you know, you still need to be able to shoot, move, communicate, even if you are hundreds of miles apart. Um, yeah. If you were to be able to go back and speak to that 
young man, you know, coming out of Purbright or coming back from Northern Ireland, um, you know, there's the one critical moment, maybe that telling him something about the way he, you know, he carries himself, you know, say, hey, don't worry about these things that you're going to learn. We'll teach you this. We'll teach you how to shoot. We'll teach you how to take whatever. But what sort of three things would you say to that young man coming into the military? What would I say to him? Believe in yourself, always. You know, don't, don't, the only thing that will hold you back is yourself. That's going to be your biggest hurdle is yourself. Uh, seize every opportunity and try and stay out of drama. <laughs> yeah, I like that last one. That, that's a good one for everybody. Um, and, uh, are, you a, are you a coffee man? Are you a coffee snob at all? I know with age that a lot of us have become a bit snobbier. No, no, I don't know. I do, I do love a good day, black coffee. Yeah. Do you have a particular brand that you're loyal to, or have you are you just as much as you can get in your body kind of guy? Yeah, no, I, 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 do, I do enjoy a good day. The old contact coffee. No oh, contact coffee. Yeah, I mean they're they're pretty uh, popular over here in the UK. Um, yeah, no, they're pretty. And b- being a man from Scotland, what what would be your uh, whiskey recommendation for the world? Uh, Arbeg. Say that again. Arbeg. Arbeg. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to get you to spell that for me afterwards so I can put it in the notes for everybody <laughs> to go and look up. Um, yeah, no, I'll be egging it now. I've, 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 actually, I've, I've not had a drink now. It'll, it'll be two two months and Saturday since I've had a drink. That's yeah, good yeah, going. Just, yeah, no, I know. Uh, much to everybody's uh, that now. Surprise, it's been two months. But I've got yeah. a nice bottle of Arbeg sitting there waiting to go. Yeah, well, it's interesting, time. isn't it? Everyone in the lockdown's gone the other direction, but... Uh, I like that. I like yeah. the fact that you've uh, <laughs> used the change in pace to uh, maybe dial it back a little bit, going going on the health kick. Um, what's the one dip that kind of sticks out in your mind? If I got together with, with people and they'd say, you know, the funniest thing they've, you've ever seen or the funniest thing that's ever happened, the one thing that always comes up. The, the, the majority, well, the majority of them can never be repeated now. now <laughs> yeah, right. Now, but, uh, what I would say is that now it's so... Few years ago, I think 2013, I uh, was doing a, doing a sniper explosion in Germany. I uh, went out there now uh, talking to the Germans. Uh, there was some American boys there for the gender, uh, for, for the the the, the, the part of group out there, uh, brigade there. Sorry, uh, also snipers, some French guys, and we were all talking about now. now the majority were talking about Afghan. The French boy was talking about Mali. Great, great stuff, great stuff to chat. But on the final night, obviously there was me and three other boys from my regiment there. And we uh, drank the place dry a Jaeger to start with. So we went back to the sniper bar. And they've got all these lovely plaques and everything else in the walls. And so obviously now we thought, right, we're going to have to rob something, aren't we? Oh, God. So, yeah, yeah. So, so I was like, right, I'll, I'll take this. My mate, uh, he, he decided that he was going to try and rob a K-bar knife. And then the American stood there. Got there, there, was, there was one American stood there and he's like, I really want part of this. You know, how do I get involved? And we're like, just take something, just take something. He's it. No, no, no. Uh, so anyway, we we wake up in the morning. We, we were spoiled. So we get taken to the uh, airport. But what they done was the Germans obviously they were kicking off because all the stuff was missing. And uh, what they done was they dropped us off to go shopping for an hour. 
went back and they searched for bags and found everything. And I came back to my bag with, with, with a nice uh, sign on it saying, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least well, at least they had a good sense of humour about it. You know what I mean? At least they played, yeah. played it smart. I like that. Take yeah. it on, took it in good, uh, in good faith. If I was going to send you away now um, to do your job, um, but on a desert island, what three items would you have to take with you? I'll let you take a radio and a set of anseals because obviously no, we can't do it without communicating. But what three other items would you take with you? Uh, MFC. Unfortunately, that's the job, man. That's the one you got. That's yeah, the one no, you're, no, I'm, you're... I'm happy with MFC. You know, no, no, I bring the rain these days. I'll yeah. bring the rain. <laughs> uh, so uh, the first thing I'd probably bring, uh, obviously now I'm up. Need, need a map, so I've got my radio. Uh, compass, and then probably some tunes. Some tunes, okay. Some just for, tunes, just for them, just for them downtime, you know. Yeah, you kicking back downtime, on the beach, you know, uh, drinking some coconut when, water. Yeah, exactly. Now, when, when, when you're waiting for when you're waiting for the motor light in it now to, to to get to catch up. Yeah, you know, you've got some tunes there and ready. Yeah, coconut water and uh, and some tunes. Mate, I, re- I really appreciate you taking the time, Andy. If you had one closing thought across the whole community, you know, um, no matter where they are, ground air, fires or, or otherwise, serving or veteran, what would that closing sort of thought be? I guess now that, that now we, we, we talk about, now you say they're serving or veteran, you know, it, it doesn't matter what, what, what regiment, what cat badge, you know, now, now what service you're even in, you never stop being part of the family. And so, so that that family's always there for you. So now, if you've, now you're always there for it. Now you're always part of it. Just never forget that. Roger that. Yeah, we're stronger together. That's for sure. I appreciate you taking the time, mate. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for having us. Thank you, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen. All our podcasts sit on the Nine Foot Night Killer Collective, Soul Feed, Forge Not Made, and the JTAP Podcast. Take some time, maybe listen to one of the other podcast series that you're not listening to and give us your feedback. All these things only happen because of the Nine Foot Night Killer community and we really appreciate them. Thank you everybody for listening.